Y'all got your hot sauce? Can't wait. All right, then come prepare. Boy, say you don't eat hot sauce. Fuck you know that. Yeah. I tell you that. Hey, hold on. Can I ask how the hell he knew how to eat hot sauce? Yeah. Girl. Julie? I, I didn't know you didn't eat hot sauce, so that's on me. He said you don't even eat hot sauce. I said, <laughs> 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 how the fuck you know that? That's a good insight information. Yeah. Like, oh, nah. I didn't know you don't eat hot fucking hot sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like the old kids want to blame everything on both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the AJ versus Miller Club's are up. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to get to see that? Uh, yeah, we're going to get to see that. One one in, in face up. I got battered there. We had a freestyle battle, man. Miller's got bars. I was just taking shot after shot after shot. I was thinking this motherfucker. But yeah, I hope they won't show that. And if they do, I want some real seeds. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where finally Anthony Joshua admits that Jermaine Franklin performance was terrible. Hate to say I told you so, but. I told you so. But at least, I don't even know. Like, I just, I'm going to be really brief on AJ because I think we can talk about other stuff. But you wonder where his head is at. Is he still hanging on to the remnants of that Joshua project? You know, they can turn him into this billionaire boxer, um, activist. I don't even know what he wants to become anymore. And, or is he just a realist now saying, I just got to get my fights done and cash out? Because I'd prefer the second version. If Josh is now just like, I'll go fight these people, get my money and get out. I haven't been able to do the things I wanted to do in boxing. Let me just get my money, reboot and work out what I can do next. And if that's the case, fantastic. I wish him all the best. But if this is another exercise in delusion from AJ, then I don't even know if it's working to his core fan base anymore. I don't even know if that core fan base feels the same way about Anthony Joshua. Because if nothing else, he's just flattered to deceive. Every time they've got their hopes up, he's just let them down. But really, the purpose of this episode is just to talk about the good things in boxing, right? I think too often we sit down and we're down, and it's really down to two fights, isn't it? Joshua Wilder, Fury Usyk, they're the two fights that get people down the most. And then they have an outsized effect on how we view boxing. So we go, oh, boxing's terrible, because look, these heavyweights won't fight each other. And, you know, that's one division. That's one division out of, what, 13? We don't need them. We don't need the heavyweights right now. And remember the time when, when Vlad was dominating and we just zeroed in on the welterweights and the junior middleweights and we got enough entertainment out of those guys. They, they delivered for us. and They fought more often. They fought more challenging fights. Look, the rise of Amir Khan was probably correlated to the lack of interest in heavyweight boxing. If there'd been a viable heavyweight during Khan's heyday, I don't know if he'd be the same Amir Khan, but the fact that he had this small guy with a fragile chin willing to take on the world, and he called everyone out, if you remember. The fact that he was able to do that, you have to respect. And that told fans that, look, it's not just about the heavyweights, man. We, we need to think about these, these other divisions that are equally as interesting and exciting. And then when Joshua came, we thought this might be the guy to change everything. Then he wasn't. So now we've got to go back to plan A, which was, let's look at these other divisions and see if they deliver. But this is just one where I'm just like, things that make me happy and put a smile on my face when it comes to boxing. One, 
we've had a ton of fights that are what you can call top-of-the-tree type fights, right? And I'm not going to get them all, and if you can remember them, feel free to. But we had Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez. If, if you knew you were getting that fight in January, you're buzzing. We had Tank versus Ryan Garcia. That's a hell of a fight. That's a fight that we were intrigued by. You had Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko. Another fight we wanted to see. And bear in mind, all these fights delivered. All these fights delivered. Um, you had Chris Eubank Jr. against Liam Smith. Another fight that delivered. So as fans, like we've had a we've had a large number of fights that have delivered. And we can't debate that fact. And that puts a smile on my face to know that we had forward momentum in the lightweight division. We had forward momentum in the junior welterweight division. And then we're going to get to July 29th and we're going to get forward momentum in the welterweight division. And you've got Terence Crawford facing Errol Spence, a fight the fans wanted. It's not a fight that's too late either. This is probably the, the last year we can say that these two men are in their prime. And we get to see it. We get to see Ugas versus Thurman. Can Thurman come back? You know, people are intrigued to see that. Then we've got Jerome Ennis knocking on that door. We've got Virgil Ortiz knocking on that door. Domestically, once Conor Ben is cleared, and at some point he will be, and as much as it puts a dark cloud on boxing, at some point he's going to come out and look for a dance partner. So th there are compelling stories, and we're not even talking about Stephen Fulton against uh, Naoe Inoue. Naoe Inoue, got it. For supremacy at 122 pounds. These are all huge fights. Then we get into gimmick season in August, and that's fine because, you know, the kids are on holiday. Why not, why not, why not let the cartoon characters out? So you're going to get Joshua versus Dillian. Then you're going to get Usyk versus Dubois, which is a legitimate fight, by the way. That is a 100% legitimate fight. I'm not saying Dubois stands a chance he's going to win. I'm saying that it's a fight we'd want to see. If Dubois is really the, the special kid we've been saying for years, he'll rise to this occasion. If he's not, then he won't. Then we go into Fury versus Ngannou for there's the full cartoon effect, the full Hollywood effect. And then we get the rematch. The big bruisers, the big cavemen, um, Neanderthals are us. Joe Joyce versus um, Gilles Zhang. That's a good run-up to the end of September. Put Canelo against Baby Charlo in there as well. That's a good run. There are a lot of fights there that even if you didn't know at the beginning of the year, you'd want to see them, but you'd happily watch Zhang versus Joyce again. And the only complaint you can have about either man is they don't have a belt, or uh, they're not name brands. Fine. But as two men fighting, as two guys who are going to get in that ring, who are going to get in that ring, not move around, not go hunting each other. No one's going to be on the retreat. Two men who are just going to see who's got the biggest nuts. You'll watch that. Jamel Charlo versus Canelo. Is Canelo over the hill? Can Jamel Charlo outwork him? Can he outbox him? What, what's going to happen when he has to taste that Canelo power? We haven't talked about Baturbi of Liam's, uh, Callum Smith yet. You see what I mean? Um... Bivol's still looking for a dance partner, so you never know who he's going to get. 
talk about Sonny Edwards versus Bam Rodriguez. These are all serious fights. Then when the ladies start mixing it up with the Katie Taylor-Chantal Cameron rematch, Alicia Baumgartner looking for a serious dance partner, Natasha Jonas looking for a serious dance partner, Clarissa Shields just looking for a new challenge. There are all of these names, and you're like, before the end of the year, we're going to get some really intriguing and fascinating fights, some really enjoyable fights. And as boxing fans, we need to appreciate that. You know, just drill down into the domestic scene. And you've got these heavyweights bubbling. You've got Jamie Shakiva. You've got Solly Dakers. You've got Courtney Bennett coming through on the small hall scene. Uh, you've got all of these guys coming through, the new breed. Kids are Harvey Dykes coming through as well. You've got loads of stuff happening. Callum Simpson at super mid. But let's not forget the, the UK fight of most intrigue, Dan Aziz versus Joshua Boatsy. These are all good fights. Craig Richards still to come out. Anthony Yard still to come out. And you imagine all of those guys are fighting this year. Lyndon Arthur's going to box for an IBO title. There's so much good that's happening. And I'm trying to work out why we always feel so despondent. And I think it's this. Boxing always finds a way to shoot itself in the foot. It's such a badly run sport that the circus around boxing often detracts from what happens in the ring. And I don't know how we pull away from that. So if you think about it, we're, we're moving into Fulton Inoue and Crawford Spence Fright Week, right? I think that's probably one of the biggest weeks we've had in boxing in a long time. Like, there are four guys there who, who happily sit on a pound-for-pound pound list, right? As you fans like to call it. You've got four guys there who are prepared to risk it. And then in the background, we've got Anthony Joshua talking about Rob McCracken and being disrespectful. And he's being disrespectful at a time when he was, I mean, he was the man that was defending Rob. You can go back where people were saying, how's Rob McCracken going to train Joshua and the GB squad? You can go back to people like Porky Russ saying, how is Rob McCracken able to train pros at the GB facility, but no other pros can use it? There are all of these points where these questions were raised and they were all batted away and we were told that Rob is a guy, I trust Rob with everything, he's done everything for me. Now Joshua's piping up and saying, well, look at Carl Froch's nose, Rob McCracken doesn't teach defense. Um, yeah, but you would have known that before. He trained you to the damn Olympics, so when did you think he was going to teach defense as you were getting punched up by Erislandi Savon? So we, we get that kind of silliness, and we get the Eddie Hearn IFL nonsense. We get the, the buffoonery that if it didn't exist, we'd be talking about really great fights. And I'm excited by those fights. I'm excited by what's happening at the British scene. That we're, we're starting to get to a consensus. I've seen Boxer have hired Kevin Campion, and I think that's a good move because Kev gets it. If it doesn't happen on Kev's watch, it's because it's not possible. That's what I'd say. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's not because he doesn't know. It will be because structurally he can't give the fans what they want. But my instincts knowing Kev would be two things that Kev will want to get right. He'll want to get every fighter's development path spot on so that they are tested at the right time and they grow at the right rate. Kev will take care of that comfortably. That's the first part. The second part is he'll want to give fans fights that they'll get excited by. Now, whether he can do those things or not, we don't know. We will find out for sure. But Kev, Kev's the guy to do it. 
no one else is going to know boxing as deep as he is. So fair play to him for that. that that's another big tick in the box. Um, looking at the amateur scene, we've got Hannah Robinson coming off GB and she's going to sign with Lee Eaton and turn pro. Um, I've mentioned her so many times before, but Hannah Robinson is one of the people who can take women's boxing to a new space um, where there are sponsors and there are opportunities and so forth. She can really do that because she's talented. She looks the part, friendly, great, great backstory, um, committed to the sport for a long, long time. And, you know, she's had domestic amateur rivalries with a lot of the people she'll be encountering up the ladder. So I'm, those things make me happy. There's a young kid, Leo Atang, boxes out of Legions in York, who I think could be the goods. And I've mentioned him before, but I think that kid could be the goods. And there are many more like him in the GB setup. Um, kid I used to work with back in the day, young Yassim Ramsey, um, the, the cousin of my friend Simon. And he's got a GB assessment. Whichever way that goes, he has a promising future in the sport because he's a model of consistency and dedication. And you can go through the list of all of these people who are going to come through at the right time and we'll be there going, oh, okay, we're in a good space. Let's not forget Ben Whitaker. If Ben's as good as I've been saying he is, he can take the sport in a different direction. And people say he's a Marmite fighter. Yeah, he is. But you can't question what the kid does in the ring. You can't. And I, there's someone listening now who goes, well, let's see him do it against someone that we know. And here's one thing I can guarantee. He will still do that. Because you have to remember, when he fought the ABA final against Jordan Reynolds, Jordan Reynolds was the favorite, by far. Jordan Reynolds had all the eyes on him, the sponsors, the opportunities, and Ben played with him. Ben will play with you if he knows he's better than you. He'll impose himself on you. Um, the Talma brothers, we're going to find out in the next 12 months if they are the real deal. And if they are, happy days. And all of this is bubbling nicely. Now, if you just focus solely on this, you'd love the sport again. Our challenge is, how do we get enough of this good stuff into each show that we watch? Without having to watch person X we don't care about against person Y we don't care about. That's the challenge we've got. You know, there was a, there was a show up in, what was it Newcastle or Sunderland? No idea. In the Northeast, right? Um, Wasserman show. And they had Josh Kelly on there. And it had a few of the usual suspects, your Troy Williamson's and so forth. But not a fantastic product to watch. But you feel that you could put Josh Kelly on a show where he'd be compelling viewing. And I think these are the things we need to get right. Stop spreading the product out so thin and we'll moan a lot less. But when you really break it down, we've had a good six months so far. Boxing's really, really delivered for the fans. Second half of the year is looking equally strong because, remember, Wilder's still got to come out the blocks. Ruiz has still got to come out the blocks. They say Billy Joe's coming back this year. You know, we've obviously, we've got the Eubank-Smith rematch, and then we'll see what happens over that. we we'll see what happens with, with Conor Ben. We've still got guys like Echo Esselman to come. Um, you know, what will the McCormack brothers do? Denzel still got to come back. Uh, there's loads. And who's Denzel with Hamza Shiraz? That's another fight people want to see. So when I break it down, I go, wow. Like, as boxing fans, this is, this is a good year. 
and let's not be distracted by the politics and the stuff that we moan and gossip about online and some of the media outlets that are permanently pessimistic. Let's not, let's not drown in that. Let's remember that, actually, when boxing delivers, it's the best sport in the world. And I'll explain it like this. If I'm a Bournemouth fan next season, if you tell me Bournemouth are playing Man City, I can't bounce off the walls at that, right? Because that's really a 3 or 4-0 hiding. If you're playing Liverpool, that's another 3 or 4-0 hiding. That's the equivalent of prospect versus journeyman. Football's used to that. Football's used to the fact that most games are transactional and they'll go with the person who will go with the team that's supposed to win. But the great things in football are when that team doesn't win and also sometimes just the, the quality of the performance. And we're getting that in boxing this year. So don't, don't, don't let your heads drop because I genuinely think this could be, this could be a good year for boxing. You know, but as fans, um, so what I'm not saying, guys, let me be clear, I'm not saying don't call out the BS. That's what we also need to do. We need to challenge the BS. The example is, I think it was Gareth A. Davis asked the question, didn't he? If, if Fury gets past Ngannou, will he look to unify the belts? And the answer back was, it depends on who holds the belts. Which kind of validates the stuff that I've been saying for a while, that everything Tyson Fury is doing right now is a business decision. Do not be surprised if John Fury does with Tyson what he's done with Tommy and pulls him away from a promoter and assumes the role himself. Because that's been John Fury's long-term game. The thing is, Tyson was wrapped up in contracts he couldn't get out of. So I expect to see Team Fury promotions at some point, and they'll just run their own ship. And that might be a good thing for boxing. Just might mean we never get undisputed, but that's okay. Like, like we've said many times, others will pick up the slack. There are other boxers that we're more interested in. And one day Fury will be gone and the sport will carry on. But what really prompted this, if I'm being honest, was I was having a conversation. This is after I met up with Martin and Andy, which was an incredible day, by the way. Like, I always give thanks because when I, when I did New Age, my assumption was that's how every podcast was. People just got together the chemistry was there, you just got it cracking, right? And then I'd watch podcasts rise and I'd watch podcasts fall. And I'd go, what is it that's kept New Age tight? And I'd always think about this. Like, what is it about us? Because we don't know things that others don't. Other people could easily do what we're doing. And it dawned on me that we just got lucky. Fate. We just got lucky. The three people that came together were the ideal blend to bring the best out of each other. And that genuinely allowed us to do something that hadn't been done before. There hadn't been a podcast that nakedly went after the establishment and said, you guys are being lied to. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. And from that one moment, many grew. You can name them. All these other outlets, even the ones that were there before us, had to pivot and go, right, this, this kind of naked, authentic truth is where it's at. We need to make people feel like they're here with us. And everyone tried to do that to varying degrees of success. And it's not, it wasn't just boxing people. And other people listened and said, we can do this our way. I know for a fact because I've had to give podcast tips to so many people who've gone on and done their own thing. For the record, spending 120 quid on a podcast studio for something that isn't going to make that much money baffles me. But whatever makes people happy. So you get these three people. 
And every time they come together, those personalities work. Because we don't compete in the same spaces with, with, with three very different people, but we get along. And so we have a great Friday, and a lot of alcohol was drunk. A lot of stories were shared, a lot of reminiscence, just a lot of laughing, um, a lot of human interaction, all that sort of good stuff. And it left me thinking, wow, boxing can give you so much. Because I went, right, new age, big tick in the box, changed my life in many ways. One of the happiest periods of my life, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, getting up on that train, getting to Milton Keynes. The, this is what people don't understand when they make podcasts. And this is why podcast recording is quite expensive. That 30 to 40 minutes you sometimes need to get in the same space to just feed off each other's energy before you record, you're on the clock <laughs> with your studio. You're definitely on the clock. So we're like, we didn't have that overhead. And those moments, the how was your weekend, what happened, the laughing, the joking. Um, I don't think, I can't remember how many different locations we, we've recorded from, but just that fun. And then we did the first live show. And our listeners, the family, got to meet people they now watch on TV. And they got to be entertained at the same time. You know, brought me into the world of people like Craig Scott that I might not have known otherwise. You know, um, I could name so many other people. Uh, Frank Beckles, God rest his soul. Um, Shaz, Rob, the mayor of Brixton. Uh, you can go on and on and on. Porky Russ, uh, Dez. Uh, there's so many people. It's even brought me closer with some of my like real-world friends. I don't know if it says, oh, this guy's actually pretty sharp when it comes to the boxing stuff. So I look at that and I go, New Age was this catalyst for so much good that happened. It happened to me personally. I think it happened to Andy and Martin too, but also happened to boxing. Because if you look at what happened, and this is why I always believe we stopped at the right time. For the first year and a half of New Age, everyone tried to fight it. You got the Transformer Duvets comments, you got Coogan trying to shit stir, and others were trying to shit stir, and people were trying to get in our ear. All got ignored, right? And then they all started to accept, we're not going to stop this wave. And if you look at what Hearn did, he started to accept a lot of the points we were raising. And so that moves the dynamics. So now you go from being the rebels on the outside to actually being the mainstream voice because now the world of boxing says, yeah, what they're saying is correct. And I don't think we had a pivot past that. I think we would have just become, we would have become the mainstream. And at some point, we would have been the ones that others pointed at and said were more extreme than them. Because you can't be a rebel forever and you can't be angry forever. There are two things in life that if you learn them quickly, you'll save yourself a lot of heartbreak. And so I always say that that run from the first live show to Groves Eubank in Manchester to the second live show, I don't think you'll build a movement in boxing that strong. They tried with Fury Power. They've tried with all this other stuff. You won't build a grassroots movement that strong. I don't think it will be done again, not for a long time, where you had, what did we do in, what did we do in Camden? Like, I think we did about 50, 55 in Camden. Um, how many people came up for Groves Eubank? Probably a comparable number. And then I'm confident we did 170. Yeah, 170. And remember, when people say, yeah, they're in great numbers, the stuff sold out in hours, by the way. Is, we, we, 
we we could have doubled on 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 all of those we could have doubled we probably could have trebled if we pushed hard enough but ego kills many a good idea and so i look at that run and i say yeah you're not going to get a better feeling than that um this three three young men came together and did that that's absolutely insane like i said introduce me to people who have been important in making me a better person enhanced a lot of my existing friendships as well because i think it gave people an understanding it showed my dedication drive you know if i want to get something done i will do and here's something that no one ever talks about and i should should really acknowledge it it brought me closer to a lot of my fitzroy lodge family like the older guys like ed um, eddie lamb ed robinson will throw him in there um adam martin you know, a lot of those older heads, even like my kind of generation, Martin Welsh, Danny Davis, uh, Linton, Simon, uh, who else? From like Big Domac and Lardy. Like, you know, the other names you could mention, you can throw Scott McDonald in there. But all of those guys has brought me closer to them. Where before, I was more of a peripheral figure in the story. But now through, through the pod and through the profile I've built, like you've got to say now, when, when people say, you know, what's Mick Carney's legacy? Like, there'll be the, there'll be the in-ring stuff and there'll be the out-the-ring stuff. When it comes to the out-the-ring stuff, my name has to be mentioned. And I'm grateful for that. You know, sometimes they're the little things you need to just put a smile on your face. But in some way, I say all of this stuff to say, this is an incredible sport. It's done so much for me. It's done so much for many others. And I like to feel that I've put back into that pot as well and try to help others fulfill their dreams and be who they want to be because... I can do episode after episode and people say, oh, you're so negative about the sport. And it comes across that way because so much stupid nonsense happens in boxing that you have to call out. But really, a lot of good stuff happens. A lot of good stuff happens. A lot of clubs doing good in the community, all of this stuff. But just to spin it back round, as much as I talk about that life should be in the pinnacle, it will always be a massive missed opportunity and hopefully... To the younger listeners, here's a lesson for you. When something's working and it's about to cross over, just get behind it. And I'll explain what I mean. Once we did our live show as New Age, and people just assumed we showed up and just did a show, there was a lot of effort, planning, and work that went into that. Let's, let's, not, let's not downplay that. But once we did it, everyone thought they could do it. And then you just suddenly had live shows popping up left, right, and center. I'm not here to tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But those live shows didn't do the numbers they deserved to do. They deserved to do better numbers than four or five people in a tattoo parlor. They deserved to do bigger numbers than that. Just being real. They deserved to do bigger numbers. But the problem was we didn't all get behind the same mission, which was to just, let's grow one thing, until it becomes so big that it spawns five or six other things. If you look at IFL, look at, look at how far boxing got behind Coogan before others said, you know what, I can do this as well. They let the market mature because it proved the market. You know, imagine Coogan had only been doing it six months and everyone else just jumped in. We probably have nothing now. And that's kind of what happened with us. Too many people jumped in instead of just backing the movement and going, these guys are the first ones to go over. Let's push them. Let's push them. And then it was on us to then go, right, guys, here's the ladder. All of you come up. We're here. We're established now. They can't ignore us. 
And we never got to that point. And once I realized that everyone was going into business for themselves, I kind of felt all of these podcasts would be on, on borrowed life, uh, borrowed time, sorry. And if I'm being honest, that was when the rot set in. You know, everyone had their different factions and people getting in each other's ear. And people were actively making moves to say, I don't want to see that platform succeed. You know, there were those sorts of things. You know, people started to share less and less information, started to communicate less, started to act less. And now, look, you don't see them. Because the clean hearts always win. But I go back and I say, whenever I sit down and have a beer with Martin and Andy, I remember what we built. And the fact that at any point you could stick a microphone in front of us, you get the same quality. Because we never had to pretend on the mic. We just never had to pretend. And that's what boxing's missing. That authenticity, that not having to pretend. That consistency of, if I met these three guys in a pub, I'd feel the same way I do if I was listening to them on a podcast. But that was a lot of talking. Let's get back to mainstream boxing, because I'm really, I'm just looking, I'm looking forward to the next six to eight weeks. As a boxing fan, I'm like, right, every week someone's delivering somewhere. I want, to, I want just good build-up, some entertainment. I think Spence Crawford are giving us little nuggets of entertainment where we quite like both guys now. Like This is the fight where I don't, have, I don't have a side. I really just want to see it. And to all the people asking, I promise to God before Fulton and Nui, I will do like a proper preview for, for those fights because I think each of those four individuals competing to demand some, some time and attention and some, some insight, man. I've got to be able to tell you guys something you don't already know. So that's the challenge. It's like, you know, can I actually do that? But I think that's where that will be. But in the meantime, guys, message, look, we're getting a lot of the fights we wanted, yeah, as fans. That's a great thing. And hopefully this will bring more of those fans back to the sport that were disillusioned. You know, we can leave the heavyweights for now. Let's focus on the guys who are actually risking their records. Because as Anthony Joshua said, maybe these big guys got too comfortable. When you're making eight-figure paydays, why, why are you bothered how many times you fight? You're not going to spend all that money anyway. So I guess that's the point. Um, let, me, let, me, let me tap out there and say to everyone, have a great day. Weather looks incredible. So hopefully you guys are enjoying your summer. As always, if you enjoy the content, like, share, um, you know, be... be be the advocate in public and private. It's always appreciated. Um, I'm seeing, you know, we're all going through a kind of boxing recession, so I'm grateful that, that the numbers on this platform are holding up. So it shows that even as things are shrinking elsewhere, this is still growing because I think people just want truth. They just want someone who who says what they believe and can hopefully back it up. Now that I say, take care, guys, and we'll speak again soon.